When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. We are in spring football, believe it or not. It's February 23rd, and uh, the team is getting together. All the new entry, uh, the early entry freshmen are on board. All the transfers are on campus. All the returners are there, and they are going through some tenacious training exercises they're getting the book on they're getting some practice we are in spring football the first checkpoint getting into the next football season bk how you doing man i'm doing fantastic i'm happy that spring football is officially here um i apologize i know for a lot of you that are listening right now i'm sure you were hoping to get our takes on mizzou and uh the difficult weekend that they had against mississippi state and then the difficult game that they had against tennessee we will not be talking about any of the above here today i have no takes other than god have mercy please end this season as soon as possible but we've got some takes on the mizzou football teams that's what we're here for missouri football and missouri basketball that meme with you know the two arms like locking together can't beat mississippi state it just it's not something the university of missouri can do beat mississippi state in anything so it's fine um we do got some news. We got some news items for you guys. We talked about Blake Baker last show, and we said inevitably within a couple of days he's going to be announced as defensive coordinator. And lo and behold, he was. So he's officially the guy. He's still going to be coaching safeties, uh, but he is going to be the defensive coordinator for the 2022 season. And Missouri still needs to hire a cornerbacks coach. Uh, there is a name floating around, Al Pogue, but nothing has been made official yet. Um, so. Baker's our guy, BK. Uh, I know we talked about it last show, but now that it is 
officially out there in the ether, consumed in the zeitgeist. How do you feel about it? I feel pretty good about it. He clearly has quite a few relationships in the Louisiana area, and he's made those very quickly in the Louisiana area. And that's good news. Um, The fact that you've already got and I I don't think it's a real commitment, but uh, a commitment nonetheless from a kid in 2024 from that area who apparently committed because of Blake Baker. Like, that's the kind of thing. And again, I don't know how real that commitment is. I personally am not like I haven't even written a recruiting reset on the kid because I just don't believe it yet. So I say all of that to say, if you're building relationships to where a kid wants to commit this early on in his process and he's doing so because you're the defensive coordinator, that's a good sign. Um, the kid that they signed late in the process that was a linebacker that I ended up being a really good, big fan of, I, I'm blanking on his name right now, but uh, he was a three-star kid out of Louisiana. That's That's another one that it's like, okay, he clearly was the connection there that's a good sign as as well. Um, I'm I'm happy about the hire. I will be very curious to see how much of this is his defense versus what they have done in the past. I'm a little skeptical of what we're hearing right now, which is, oh, yeah, everything's going to be the same as it was last year. I don't buy that. I think that Blake Baker's going to want to have his stamp on this defense. And frankly, he should want to have his stamp on this defense. He shouldn't run somebody else's scheme just because they were here previously. So I'll be very curious to see what that looks like, what the wrinkles are that he's able to implement that they didn't have a year ago. And honestly, maybe what we don't like as much about this defense as what we saw, especially towards the end of the year uh, with Steve Wilk. So I like the hire. I think it's solid, but time will tell. And sadly, that's how all of these hires end up going. Xavier Atkins is the kid who from the class of 2024 who committed, who's <clears throat> currently a high school sophomore. And Carmica Glass was the other one that I was referencing from Monroe. Right. Late edition, 6'4, 210 pound <clears throat> linebacker who plays almost like an edge. Yeah. So the Atkins commit, I mean, I went ahead and opened up a new tab in my spreadsheet for recruiting and I added his name in there, but he's not even ranked in any of the services. And y'all, we're two years away from him even signing a piece of paper saying he's coming to Mizzou. So it's not real he is he is a rising star um but that's that's one you just you can already forget about because he said even in his announcement that my recruitment's still open but i'm committed to missouri so don't say anything man just don't say anything but um anyway that's not the point the point is like you said blake baker's been around for a while he's got good connections and he is known as a pretty decent recruiter so like that's the sort of clout that you want for your dc um as far as what he's going to do you know I mean, he's a Manny Diaz disciple. Manny Diaz defenses thrive on pressure, right? Whether that's just from the defensive ends or if that's, you know, accumulated pressure from, you know, corner blitzes or just aggressive uh, outside linebackers. Like, that's what he wants to do. And that's what he did at Louisiana Tech. Like I said last time, a lot of, lot of sacks, a lot of tackles for loss, a lot of big plays given up, but that's kind of what you deal with. Uh, and at I like Miami, that, man. I'm, I'm here for it. I, I would so much rather have that style. Oh my gosh, would I rather have that style of defense? Just big explosions, good and bad? Yes, because you're going to give up big plays. Like, this is college football. You're playing yeah. in the SEC. The reality is, like, more often than not, it ain't going to go well for you defensively, especially when you are outflanked when it comes to talent against your opponents, yeah. which, let's be honest, most of the time is going to be the case for Mizzou. They, they're, they're closing that gap, but... More often than not, they are not going to be the most talented team on the field. So go out there and make some big plays, man. <laughs> Force the other team into third yeah. and 20. Like that—that yeah. that is how you get off of the field defensively at Mizzou. It's what worked for them under Gary Pinkle. It's what I do believe can work for them in the future. I hate, hate, hate so desperately 
this whole read and react nonsense. You are in college football. This is not the NFL. You are not going up against similar opponents. Stop playing read and react. Go attack. So I'm here for that. Now, keep in mind, at Miami, he had a killer defensive line. So he mostly played shell in the back seven and then just let his four guys up front Mm -hmm. destroy. Which, again... Totally fine with that. <laughs> that's yeah. how that's how uh, uh, that's how Dave Steckel did it when he had Craig, uh, Craig Kuligowski running his defensive line. Like that's where D line Zoo came from. So like you can do it in a couple different ways. But I think no matter what you're thinking about, Blake Baker is going to want to create havoc. And so whether that's out of a four two five or four three or three four, who who the hell cares? Um, but I think, like you said, with an underdog mentality, underdog tactics on defense. You are admitting that, look, our our guys aren't going to stop them every single time. They're not going to stay stride for stride with those big passes. So let's make you let's make you make a decision faster. Let's make you freak out a little bit and then hope to capitalize off that. So, yeah, it's a it's a good strategy. And I think that's what he's going to do. That's certainly what Diaz disciples do. Um, But we will we will see uh, as we go through spring and as we head into fall. But, yeah, like I said, spring football, it's happening. February 21st on Monday is when uh, practices officially started. They'll be going through March 15th. Um, I don't know, BK, have you ever, well, these are the practices that suck the most because <laughs> it's a lot of hanging out with your strength training daddy, right? And he's going to make you earn it. Uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of building, a lot of cutting, a lot of like, here's how you, you know, you're going to, you're going to get used to this weight room. This is going to be your house and you're going to put up a cot and you're going to, you know, whiff 24 seven. So it sucks a lot. And there's a lot of drills and it's just a lot of crappy stuff, but it's also a lot of install, right? Some of these new guys are getting into the book. They're getting to do seven on seven. They're getting to start do reps with their uh, respective quarterbacks or do reps with their, uh, with the unit that they're going to be working with. So these are important. It's not the most important, but when you have so many new guys on campus, uh, this is great for them. And this is why freshmen like to get in there uh, during the spring because it gives them a leg up as compared to the other freshmen who come in, uh, say, over the summer or into the fall when we get into August. So your early entrance, as of at least right now, we're talking Luther Burden. Uh, we are talking Armand Mimbu, Mikai Miller, um, well, Xavier Simmons for sure, and then uh, Max Wisner. Those are the guys who are on there. And plus all the transfers. So it'll be interesting to see um, how they develop over the spring. We're not going to get much access until the black and gold game, which is on March 19th. Um, But this is it. You know, they always talk about brick by brick, the process. BK, this is the start of the process. We'll figure out in a couple months what it looks like. But uh, it's kind of exciting to know that this team's starting to gel. Yeah, and I think what you're going to be hearing a lot of, especially if you pay attention to the guys that are covering covering the team on a day to day basis, is basically like, "Hey, listen, like we we can't see a whole lot of these practices. There's just no way to really be able to evaluate exactly what Missouri's going to be in 2022." And that that's true, man. I covered the team day to day, 2014 through 2016 while I was at Mizzou, and I mean th- there are certain things that you can get some glimpses of. Like I remember. Um, when Ellerby was the offensive line coach, you could see like, oh, this is going to be a better group than it had mm-hmm. been under the previous offensive line coach. He was just so much more detail oriented. And so I think that's one thing that you can get a pretty good grasp of is kind of if you're paying attention close enough, you can see what the new position coaches in particular are bringing to their units. 
But I remember going into 2015, one thing that I noticed immediately was, oh boy, they can't catch anything. <laughs> like those yeah. are the types of things that you can get a little bit of a glimpse into is like, if there is a huge weakness that will show as early as in spring ball. And those are the kinds of things that like, if for example, you go into spring ball and your quarterbacks both stink, they might be looking to the transfer market to be able to find somebody. If you go into spring ball and you find out, oh boy, we added all these guys on the defensive line and they can't really play the way we thought they could. Okay, maybe mm-hmm. you go out there and you find one more guy to be able to add <laughs> into the mix. Those are the kinds of things you can do here, but it's not as obvious to the naked eye as as some would like to believe, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And this is also kind of a, a another cut period. Uh, a lot of guys are going to start figuring out where they where they slot on the depth chart and what the likelihood of them playing in the fall is going to be. Obviously, not, not ironclad, but it gets you a pretty good idea. So you'll start seeing another wave of transfers as uh, respective teams' spring practices come to an end. Now, there is no college football czar, so therefore there is no standard spring practice date, but pretty much February through April is when they're going to happen. So Missouri is going to start losing some guys into the transfer portal. And there's a probably a solid chance that they replace them with somebody else. Now, as we mentioned last time, Missouri is currently at 87 football scholarships. You need to be at 85 uh, to operate as a college football team, but they could, if they wanted to, take another uh, take another seven. So it's it's a numbers game, and this is going to be the next process to to figuring that out and ironing that out. Um, so that's that's one of those things to keep in mind. You mentioned uh, quarterbacks. That, that's it, that's kind of a big one. Um, you know, we had a bit of a quarterback battle uh, in 2020 when Eli Drinkwitz took over, and it was going to be, oh, is it, is it going to be Sean? Is it going to be, is it going to be Connor? We're not totally sure. And then COVID shut everything down, and then we ended up with Sean Robinson before uh, Connor Bazelak relieved him uh, at the beginning of that season. So we haven't really had a quarterback battle of a proper one under Drinkwitz. I really haven't had a, a real, real, real one for a while, um, but this is it. Was Bazelak got... participating in spring practice, though? I, I think he was out, wasn't he, in 2020 with his knee injury? You know what? You're right. So it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Yeah, I, I think that show. was part of the reason why Robinson ended up kind of winning the job early on is because Bazelak was still rehabbing. You're and right. then in the summer, Bazelak started to get closer to 100%. And then I think it was like week two or three, it was clear. Like, okay, that's our guy. Yeah. So yeah, this is the first time in in a minute, man, that Mizzou has had a legit spring battle. Yeah, and I mean it's it's right now it's just Brady Cook, and it's Tyler Macon. And no disrespect to Tommy Locke, the walk on brother of Drew Locke, but like that's really going to be the battle right now. And it's not going to be one in spring, but you're going to get a really good idea of which one this staff is going to prefer, and then. Once uh, Sam Horn joins after his baseball season's done in the summer, that just adds another wrinkle. Um, now you can never count on a freshman to contribute, you know, game one, but the kid's talented enough, and there is seemingly a lack of trust in the current quarterback room, um, based off of what we saw last season. That um, who knows what happens? Maybe we bring in a transfer, maybe we don't. But yeah, I, I'm really curious to see how Tyler Macon has has developed, especially with his mastery of the playbook, and then. Just watch Brady Cook play because from the interviews I've seen so far, everyone's like, yeah, quarterbacks are mobile and it's pretty cool. And what just what a novel concept that is, BK. What a novel concept. 
Yeah, it's amazing. They're like they're talking about how it makes it more difficult if you're an opposing defense to be able to react to what the quarterback is doing, because like I think it was I can't remember who it was, but I saw one one interview where um, the player said, hey, you know, if they're in a specific defense and you've got to then uh, account for the quarterback, like you just don't have the numbers to be able to do it. It's like, yeah. Oh, it was Bannister. It was Bear Bannister. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's the whole idea. Like the, <laughs> the entire enchilada is, hey, you can have everything covered and you're still wrong. The quarterback can still make you wrong. And that's the value of having a guy that not only is capable of running, but also is willing to run. That was more the issue with Bazelak even than his ability to do so. He just wasn't willing so often to go out there and take the five free yards and that's something that we saw in the bowl game that clearly Brady Cook was willing mm-hmm. to do. And Tyler Macon is more than happy to do that as well. I think he's probably a little more physical of a runner than Brady Cook. But Cook's got some wheels, man. That was probably the thing that surprised me the most about him whenever he did get his opportunities was whether it be scrambles or just his ability to flat out pick <laughs> up 10 yards on third and eight. Like He added quite a bit with his legs going into spring ball. I have to imagine he is the favorite to win the job. How would you, if you were putting like odds on this one, how, how likely do you think it is that he ends up winning it? I, I mean, I think it's far and away odds like that overwhelming. he wins it. Like no disrespect to Tyler Macon. I, but I can only, you know, you and I can only go off of what we've seen. And Tyler Macon ran the ball twice against Vanderbilt and then had a couple of series against Georgia of all teams. So like, Okay, that's what we're basing off of. It's not complete, but like he is a phenomenal runner, but his number one, his his passing mechanics, let alone his his grasping of the passing tree, like not super great. Um, whereas Brady Cook had pretty decent accuracy, comparable accuracy to, to Connor Bazelak. And yeah, oh by the way, ran for 80 yards against Army. So like, yeah, that to me that it's a no-brainer that Brady Cook is going to be the favorite. Uh, to be the starter and probably will be the starter uh, game one of 2022 against Louisiana tech. And I think that's right. I think that's fine. And that's good. Um, but Tyler Macon needs to show something and we're not going to see it, uh, but he's got to show an ability to, to hit the passes, make the reads, make the right reads, be accurate. We just didn't see it on the field and that's, that's fine. People get better. That's the whole point of practice, but like I haven't seen it yet. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to believe it till I see it. That's kind of where I'm at as well. Like if you're if you're a gambling um, person, I would say it's like minus three hundred. Like you bet three hundred dollars <laughs> yeah. to one hundred dollars that Brady Cook is the starter, and like six to one odds or something like that that you would get Tyler Macon coming out of the spring. I I think it's more likely that if you were to say who starts the most number of games this year for Mizzou. I would say the guy that is most likely to do so is Brady Cook. I would have second on that list, an incoming transfer. I would have third on that list, Horn. And I would have fourth on that list, Tyler Macon. And I know there are some that are listening to this right now that are probably screaming at their phone or screaming at their radio in their car saying, BK, how could you possibly believe that? Tyler Macon is so clearly the most talented of the group. I get it. I'm not saying anything against Tyler Macon, but... If they were super high on him, I think he would have at least gotten snaps, a drive, something in the bowl game, and he didn't. That was the opportunity there. They they knew I would have to imagine at that point in time that they weren't going to have 
Um, Connor Bazelak coming back this year, and they chose to just give Cook all of the opportunity. So yeah. I'm, I'm saying he's the overwhelming favorite for sure. I'm with you. As far as transfers go, there's a lot out there. There's a lot you can pick from. I think the most highly rated transfer quarterbacks right now that currently do not have a home are Jaden Daniels from Arizona State and JT Daniels from Georgia. Um, yeah, I think those would be the highest rated ones. Yeah. Now, JT went to Georgia, seemingly was going to be the guy, and then could not see the field, could not beat out Stetson Bennett the fourth. <laughs> uh, Jaden Daniels, very talented kid out of San Bernardino, California. Um, I've heard a lot of people like they really like him. I think they fell in love with the stars because that kid is not good. Um, <laughs> I, I've been waiting for him to be good for a long time. He has a 62% accuracy, um, which is buoyed by a 65% completion rate from this past year. Uh, but he has thrown 32 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 10 of which came last year to 10, 10 touchdowns last year takes a ton of sacks and averages six yards per attempt, which is, Oh, by the way, 0.7 yards worse than Connor Bazelak. Um, He can run it. He can hoof it 7.8 yards per carry last year, but uh, he is, he's not the most accurate. He doesn't throw deep and based off of Twitter, it seems like his teammates do not like him. So uh, I am not a huge fan of Jaden Daniels. If he wants to come here, not that I've heard that he wants to come here. I don't think he will, but um, I think you can certainly uh, pass on him. What say you BK? I'm with you. If you had to pick between the two, I would definitely go JT Daniels, but it's not like he's some guy that's going to come in and run all over the place either. No. He would come in. And the reason why you're adding him is his arm. I got to be honest with you, man, given the options that are out there right now, I would just rather see what they have with Brady cook. Like me too. It, I, I think what we saw from cook towards the end of last season was enough for me to believe. I think he can be Connor Basilek plus. I think in terms of the arm, I don't see that he's any worse than what Connor Bazelak did last year. I think you could have more ups and downs potentially. That that's at least in play. Sure. But I mean, it ain't like Connor Bazelak had a whole lot of ups and he had a whole lot of downs last year. Yeah. So I don't think you're gonna get significantly worse in the passing game with him. And your passing options, by the way, the catchers have gotten quite a bit better this offseason. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to the running game, he just adds an element that you flat out did not have a year ago. So I would rather have Brady Cook than these options that are out there. JT Daniels couldn't beat out a guy that was basically just a warm body. Like, I, God bless him. Stetson Bennett made the plays that he needed to, and he won a national championship as a result. Nobody's going to tell their kids about Stetson Bennett being this <laughs> superstar quarterback like no everybody wanted him to replace up until the moment that he actually won the national championship he yep. threw for 2800 yards <clears throat> at georgia with <laughs> some of the best weapons in the country like he's not some star quarterback but they liked his his ability to just keep the ball from the other team and we know how this works with defensive-minded coaches that was enough for them so i would stick with what you have right now given the options that are available out there if something else becomes available at the end of spring ball, then we can reassess. But for now, I, I'm I'm kind of okay with what they've got. Me too. Yeah, you got you got one guy in Brady Cook who's got actual field experience and plenty of plenty of talent. Yeah, Tyler Macon, who's the low floor, high ceiling kind of kid, he can come in, you know, maybe a series here or there, maybe provide a spark or just be a competent backup. And then you got Sam Horn, who's blue chipper coming in, highly regarded. Uh, 
very similar quarterback style to what Drinkwitz is used to, what Missouri has been used to for the past two years. Um, gives them a year to learn and then figure out what happens next year. So I, I am good. They are super young, but I am good with this group. And uh, if the staff takes another quarterback, fine. You know this team better than I do, but you know three quarterbacks, yeah, they're young, but I, I think they're good. I think there's plenty of talent there uh, to make do for a season. The other interesting aspect of spring football is that you start getting updated information about the players. Uh, that includes numbers. Uh, I went on Twitter and, and kind of shared the, the number changes so far, which, you know, whatever. That's just more uh, vanity than, than anything else. But the, the interesting thing to me is always, I mean, the height gain, yes, but really the weight gain and where it's coming from. Uh, last year, so heading into uh, spring 2021, Missouri had 34 guys lose weight and 26 guys gain weight. I think last year we called it the amazing shrinking tigers because uh, everyone was getting shorter. 24 guys lost height, 34 guys lost weight. Uh, I was like, what is going on here? Um, so that was heading into last year. This year, 12 calendar months later, we have 10 players, not 34, 10 players lose weight. And 45, 45 players gain weight as opposed to 26 from the previous year. I put the chart up on Twitter. You could see the top uh, 15 or so. The majority of them are underclassmen linemen. Now, you got Ben Key who put on 40 pounds, which, okay. Uh, but Javon Foster put on 23. Jonathan Jones put on 23. Harrison Mews put on 21 pounds. Yes, sir. Thicker. Uh, but Kai Montgomery put on 20 pounds. Uh, Daniel Robledo, the Juco defensive lineman, put on 18. Cannon York put on 15. He's a defensive end. Chad Bailey out of nowhere put on 13. Hiram White put on 13. Like, you just see, it's the lines. They're bulking up. They are getting bigger. And it seems like whether you play end or, or tackle, um, they're wanting you to be a little bit heavier to deal with whatever scheme that they're going to do. So, BK, what do you make of this? I find it really interesting. I think that it's clear that they went into last year and they were like, okay, hey, maybe maybe quicker, faster. That's the way we we went on the defensive line. And they saw what that looked like. They're like, whoa, no, 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 no. Uh, bigger, faster, stronger. Let's get these guys in the weight room. Let's get these guys on a nutrition plan and let's do so ASAP. Like the defensive line in this conference, you just have to be so strong to be able to keep up with those that are going up against you. Like I think they view it as, we need guys to be on the edge, like our our left defensive end. So typically the, the guy that's going to be on the strong side of the defense, the guy that's going to be going up against the tight end plus the tackle more often than not. That guy should be like 270 plus. The other side, the rush end, we want those guys to be around 250. And then the defensive tackles, we want them to be as close to 300 pounds as possible to eat up as much of the interior as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And if we can get some guy that's, kind of souped up 295 with a bunch of explosion in the interior, even better. That's kind of how they view this thing, man. And you can tell that based on the guys that they've added this offseason and just the weight that they've put onto some of these guys. Jonathan Jones coming in at 265? Yeah. I didn't know his body could carry that, man. Kai Montgomery, we knew he was going to be bigger. 275 is real big. And Travion Ford, I know he was listed. I think it was like 220 last year. I don't know if he actually came in at 220. I think he might have been closer to like 210, 
215 they had and him he's at 239 which i did not believe last year last year no chance no chance he was injured there's no way he had that much weight there, there is no way he was two, 239 last year and he's listed at 240 now which yeah. is probably where you want him to be because he's a guy that's going to win on explosion mm-hmm. i say all of that to say this like they just they have a plan and that's always my biggest thing is if you end up failing but you go down with your plan I'm okay with that, man. I know for some, maybe that sounds kind of crazy, but at least you had a plan going into this thing. And it's very clear to me, they have a plan that they put into place this off season. And based on the numbers, it looks like they succeeded in doing so. Um, and I wonder how much of that was the new strength and conditioning coach. You know, mm-hmm. they, they hired a new guy for a reason. And I wonder if this is part of what that reason was. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Coat and McGuire are over 270, each one of them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Johnny Walker, Travian Ford, Jonathan Jones, all of them over 240. These are these are red shirt freshmen, 19 years old. With Kai Montgomery and Daniel Robledo, um, you know, Montgomery at 275, Robledo at 297. That almost uh, seems to solidify in my mind that they're going to be playing on the interior kind of going forward just because yeah. that's, that's really big, and they could do it. Um, but Darius Robinson's... Over 300 for the first time in his career. He came in uh, three years ago at 254. Now he's at 300. He played at 290 last year. Uh, By the way, quickly on him yes. before we move on. Um, these The videos that you see at camp, take oh, them all with yeah. a grain of salt. Take yeah. them all with a grain of salt. But there are certain things that you can take out of them that are, are meaningful. And at one of the uh, lifting sessions, he was the guy that was breaking down his group. that's the kind of thing that does stand out to me because that doesn't just go to anybody that typically goes to a guy that either has taken on more of a leadership role or who the coaches want to take on more of a leadership role. One of those two. And for Robinson, who is now a senior, Mm -hmm. you would have to imagine he's going to be one of those guys this year. So uh, good for him if he has. And it's about time, man, we've been waiting for this last year. I know it was a lot of injuries that kind of plagued his season, but He's always had the talent, and he just looks like a guy that should go in there and wreck the football game. So, fingers crossed, he's going to have a breakout season this year. 286 snaps last year, 22 tackles, two tackles for loss, uh, three run stuffs and a pass broken up. Oh, and a forced fumble. Like, that is incredibly productive for not a lot of snaps. Basically, maybe a third uh, of the snaps possible for the defense. And he did all that. So it's if he can if he can maintain that explosion, because <clears throat> that's what we've always loved about the Rhino Darius Robinson, um, is that his ability to just smash through the line and just bit off the ball so fast. <clears throat> if he can do that at 300 pounds, it's gonna be it's gonna be magical. Ugh, I can't. Wait. By the way, he maybe he fits this defense even better. You know, maybe Good. this ended up being a blessing in disguise for him. Absolutely. Uh, you pair him with Jaden Jernigan from Oklahoma mm-hmm. State. Got Ian Matthews coming in, who's 302 as a red redshirt freshman. Like you can see, uh, you can talk yourself into the, this defensive line being the strength that the defensive stat thought they would be last year, and clearly was not. But uh, they were rounding into form late, and yeah, I mean, you know, now you got Wilkes gone, you got a couple other guys gone. Okay, but like you can see some things here, you can see some improvement, and who knows what that's going to be with with Baker's scheme, but. Um, very exciting stuff. And, 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 you know, for the offensive line, too, I mean, you know, Javon Foster last year was playing at 297. Now he's at 320. 
Um, you know, Ben Spolgar coming from Buffalo, he's over 300. Connor Wood put on 10 pounds. He's now 325. Hiron White, who's already playing at 320, is now at 333. Um, like, it's just uh, EJ and Doma Ogar at 341. It's crazy. Even Drake Heismar even playing at 290 for a while is at over 300. So, like, yeah, it's it's very clear that this is what they wanted to do. Um, I think the only one who isn't over, yep, is Zeke Bell at 296. So, um, you had a few 290s floating around the offensive line last year, and no longer is that the case. Very clear. That's what they want. Um, now, you got to keep your skill. You got to keep the things that you're good at at that weight. But that's what spring and summer and fall is for, getting you to play at that weight and get comfortable with it. So, it'll be really interesting to see who uh, rises and falls as far as, you know, starters and depth and stuff. But, like, like you said, you start seeing the plan. Bigger is better. Uh, after cutting weight, <laughs> did not did not cut it uh, last year. And uh, hopefully we see some results on the field, man. So we've talked about the situation with the quarterback and that uh, the, the battle for snaps there. You mentioned the offensive line. I'm really curious to see how that shakes out because I think right now you probably, at least going into things, have six guys battling for five spots. And this will work itself out eventually, but... I, I'm really curious where they want Connor Wood to play in particular. Where do you um, want him to play? I think he's naturally a tackle. Really? But okay. I have no issues with him playing at guard because I think that's the way you get your best five. Yes. Like, I, I think your best five is White, Foster, Wood, Griffin, and Polgar. I think the way that they might go into camp, though, it wouldn't surprise me if they go White, Foster, Delgado, Wood, and Polgar. And that that's where I'm very curious to find out how that top five shakes itself out, because I, I do think the staff is willing to go with the best five as opposed to putting a square peg in a round hole and being like, yeah. no, this guy is a tackle. He will be our sixth tackle instead of being our or our swing tackle instead of being our starting offensive guard. I hope they don't do that. And I don't think this this staff would. I'm torn. Because I thought this offensive line was so much better when Wood was at guard. But that's also because Hiram White, who was very, very good, right. was out. <laughs> so, like, you weren't playing with your best five when Connor Wood was playing tackle. I'd be curious to see what, yeah, what, what, the, what the mix and match is going to be. I always love offensive line talk because there's so many possibilities and it's all based off who plays well together, really. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, not, not so much about individual skill and talent, but just who, who can gel, who can who can execute as a, as a true unit. So I, I am always fascinated about, about this talk and who gets the snaps, but I just, you know, we've talked about this so much, but I just, it bears repeating the offensive lines strength is its depth. And you could, you could probably trot out. I'm not going to get crazy. I think there's about nine guys that you could put slot in there in a two deep. And I'd go, yeah, yeah, I could see them doing that. Um, the fact that you have three quality guards in my mind between Wood, Delgado, and and Griffin, and maybe even slide in and Doma Ogar in there, like yeah, that's a solid interior. Ben's Polgar is probably gonna have to be the guy to hold it down in center, but White and Foster are experienced and very very talented uh, on the out, on the outside. And you got some younger guys coming in too, so like it's it's very exciting for this offensive line. They're all giant, and like I, I just. I don't see a bad matchup. I would have to see it on the field, but like now that we're in the offseason, I'm like, I, I see a lot of combinations that can work. Yeah, I'm I tend to be with you there. And I'm curious just for the young guys, like who ends up getting into that too deep? Because yeah. they've got a lot of options, you know. Does does Connor Tullison wake work his way into the mix? Is he gonna be a guy that gets in there? I know 
it's pretty rare that you see a guy come into a program, leave the program, and then come back to the program, but they have that with yeah. uh, Spencer coming back. So I'll be curious to see where he fits into the mix. They didn't just take him for no reason. He's mm-hmm. back on the roster because they clearly value his um, his abilities. So there's a bunch of guys that could fit into the mix somewhere. Mitchell Walters is 6'8", 320 pounds. He's a redshirt sophomore. What What's his plan? Um, yeah. They've got some interesting guys that can work into the mix there. And uh, that's that's really the case all over. Offensively, the story of the spring is going to be, okay, we've got a bunch of guys that we think are pretty good. Who's playing? Yeah. Like at receiver, I think you've got six guys that are going to see the field. Dove and Hester, I think, will switch in at, at X. I think you're going to see Burden and Lovett at the Z. I think you're going to see Bannister and Mookie both getting opportunities at, in the slot. And you might see other guys that work their way into the mix as well. I think at running back, you're going to see three different players get onto the field mm-hmm. with Elijah Young, Michael Cox, and Nathaniel Pete quarterback we just talked about it with the two guys offensive line we just went into it you've got like seven eight nine different players that could fit into the mix you're just really deep offensively right now that doesn't mean you've got stars everywhere but you've got a lot of numbers which is the opposite of where they were two years ago in the first season under eli drinkwitz yeah and really i mean the the telling thing here is how how the classes are balanced um because this is kind of the last gasp of the odom guys Plus just an overwhelming amount of young guys. So like if you look at this roster and you break it down by class, if you lump in <clears throat> graduate students, which are the bonus seniors, the redshirt seniors and the true seniors, that's 21 dudes. The juniors, there's 10 of them. The sophomores, 17. Freshmen, 33. <laughs> now, the senior numbers are all kind of wonky because of the super senior stuff, but you mm-hmm. got a lot of old dudes that are going to be cycling up real soon. And then a whole lot of young guys coming in. And that's, that is the depth chart. It's kind of feels like the Odom guys will be kind of at the top because they're older and, and more experienced, but the drink young guys are going to be pushing for that and the transfers too. Um, so it, it kind of depends on, on what, what do you want? Do you want uh, experience? Uh, or do you want the young, unproven talent? And, you know, you can go either way. Obviously, I've made it very clear that I want the young, unproven talent and just take our lumps now. But college football coaches like to win, so they're going to put the experience out there as long as they're, you know, talented too. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the, the depth charts, you know, shake out. Do you have an almost all-senior starting 22 and almost an all, you know, underclassmen uh, backup 22? Yeah, possibly. Uh, but you're going to see kind of guys sprinkled around here and there. Um, and, and there's a lot of options and that's why this is fun. This is why roster construction and recruiting is fun because you're not totally sure how they're going to do it, but especially when you recruit well and you have the kind of guys on the team that you do now, like they're endless possibilities and you can talk yourself into any of them. Yeah. It's a lot of fun, man. This, that's what spring ball is all about is getting excited about what things are going to look like. And I guess this takes us to the defensive side, right? Because You've got a situation over there with an injury and an off-field situation that could open up even more opportunities. And this one is a little bit different than the offensive side where I'm really curious to find out who's going to fit into the mix. Well, you know, specifically at at safety, which is a super, surprisingly super deep position, uh, given that there's only two on the field at a time. Um, 
But we found out that uh, Martez Manuel, he shared on Monday that he had a, uh, he tore his UCL in the third game of the season and then just played hurt all season. And he is having surgery this week. He, he had it. I he think, had it. Right? Okay. He had, he had surgery. He's going he's gonna to miss all spring practice basically. Uh, but then we also found out that uh, another. By the safety, way, for those of you asking, what's the UCL? Tommy John. That's what he had. Right. That, that's yes. the Tommy John injury. Yeah. Um, and then we also found out that Stacy Brown was arrested on suspicion and delivery of a controlled substance and unlawful possession of a firearm. So that's a suspension. Um, so you've got your your starting safety and manual and um, kind of your 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 proven backup as far as snaps go. And Brown, they are not available for the spring. Now, when they brought in uh, uh, Mr. Charleston from Clemson, we were like, oh, OK, you're just kind of bringing in talent. And you'll figure it out. Well, this might have been part of it. Uh, not not the arrest part, but the, you know, manual play without an arm basically for, for the full season. Um, so you're giving yourself an opportunity for Joseph Charleston to step in and see what he can do, uh, probably at the strong safety spot, but he kind of can fit in wherever. Uh, so that leaves Jalen Carlos, Jelani Williams, uh, the Tylers, Jones and Hibbler. And then, of course, Isaac Thompson, I think, is still recovering from his catastrophic leg injury. So there's going to be a new face uh, on the opposite side of Carlisle, uh, at least for spring. And uh, yeah, BK, I think it's kind of like, who's it going to be? It is. And I watched Charleston last week. I put out a post on him earlier this week over at the flagship rockhamnation.com. He's a really interesting player because he can do a little bit of everything. Like his value is that if you need a deep single high safety, he can do that. If you need a guy that can play in the slot, Charleston could probably get that job done for you. If you need him to slot down into the box and play the way that Martez Manuel did last year, yeah, he'll go down there and do that. He's not the most physical guy, but he can get the job done. So he is a chess piece that they're going to be able to use on the back end that when you see he played at Clemson, he started at Clemson, played in a in a title game for them, that probably overstates how good he is as a player, but he's solid. He's probably kind of Ian Simon-esque in that he'll get the job done for you and you're never going to be like, oh man, this defense stinks because they've got Ian Simon on it. No, he's <laughs> fine. He's, he's, he's a pretty good player at the back end. That's mm-hmm. kind of what Charleston is. So I would have to imagine it'll be Carlisle and Charleston that are getting the starting opportunities going into spring ball. But this is part of my curiosity with the defense that they're going to be running. Martez Manuel is a very unique safety in that he's basically a linebacker. So how are you getting him snaps? Where are those coming? Are they going to come in a true safety situation? Are you going to put him in in the nickel as a uh, linebacker, like a a legit linebacker? Because I think that's probably the best use of of Martez Manuel, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what the answer is to those questions, and we're not going to know in the spring what that is. But the reason why I ask that is because his direct replacement in the spring might not actually be any of these safeties that we're talking about right now. Like Hibbler probably has the skill set that best replaces Manuel. You might just see one of the linebackers getting those snaps instead. Oh, like yeah. where where he would typically play, instead of seeing a safety there, you might see a linebacker. Like it might be a situation where Chad Bailey just stays on the field on third downs as opposed to Martez Manuel sliding down into that spot. So mm-hmm. That's something worth monitoring, and I honestly just don't know that we're going to get any answers for it. That might be something that we have to wait all the way into the fall to find out how they're going to use him. Yeah, and the linebackers are interesting, too, because you know I, I did the um, the postmortem for the linebackers drop today um, on Rock M, and 
for kind of being the the afterthought uh position in a four two five. I mean, we saw how important it was because if Blaze Aldridge got washed out of the play, which he usually did, uh, that was that was game over. But if he could get into the backfield and blow it up, like he was, he was a Viking warrior. He just destroyed things, or he got destroyed himself. So he was a really interesting piece, and it left either Devin Nicholson or Chad Bailey kind of left to to, to clean it up on their own. Um, but yeah, what what are your options at linebacker? Obviously, Blaze is gone, but you got Chad Bailey, and Devin Nicholson back. They kind of same type of linebacker but you got you know chuck hicks will norris zach lovett damian wilson and they were around last year and mostly special teamers you know xavier simmons comes in at 62248 that like, stunned oh, me by the way he like, looks like he was 205 pounds on tape yeah <laughs> and he's now a defensive end size like okay and then of course the transfer of tyron hopper who you know uh, he is a proven SEC linebacker who, oh, by the way, is only 10 pounds and an inch taller than Man- Martez Manuel. So, like, yep. is, you know, how do you use the linebackers? How how do the safeties and the linebackers coordinate to provide whatever you want to provide in, in a given play on a given position? Um, and, yeah, like you said, the base downs, I think know. it's easy. I, ba- base downs, I think it's easy. And that's like first and 10, uh, second and five, stuff like that. Like, right. you're going to have Hopper and Bailey in there. That's yeah. it. Like the, those are those are your starting linebackers, and you call it a day. Third and eight, third and long, second and thirteen, like clear passing down situations. That's where it gets really interesting because Hopper's staying on the field. He's a guy that whether it be in passing coverage or if you're going to use him on the blitz, like he can play in any scenario, and he's good in it. And he's really fast, and he plays sideline to sideline. He is a unique linebacker, unlike what Missouri's had in years. Like he is a really, really good player. He's an NFL talent. Bailey's not that. Bailey is a guy that wins on base downs. He's going to win against the run. He's probably going to be used. And by the way, he's another guy that gained a little bit of weight this offseason. Mm-hmm. He's going to be used more in the way, but in a more limited version, uh, that we saw with Nick Bolton. Do you just replace him on third downs with Martez Manuel? Like maybe eh. you start Manuel as a deep safety. Yeah. And he's back there with Jalen Carlisle. And then on clear <clears throat> passing downs, you bring in Charleston at one safety, you bring in Carla or you keep Carlisle at the other safety, probably the, the single high spot, mm-hmm. and you bump Martez Manuel down into the box and you take Bailey off and you keep Hopper in. Like, maybe it is yeah. just a situation where you have those five guys for four spots on the field. Could be. These are the interesting I want to keep man. Chris Abrams strain at, at, at in the nickel. That, that's really what this is all about. <laughs> you don't trust him on the outside? Do what? You don't trust him on the outside? Drain? Yeah. No, 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 no. He he's a he's a nickel. I mean, I know who that's that's his strong suit, but like he he was passable on the outside. Obviously, that's not where you want him. But I don't think you have anybody else that can play that spot is the thing. Like it, it's, we don't it's know. less about his his inability to play on the outside and more about the fact that I think he's clearly your best option in the slot. Right. I, I agree that he is definitely the best slot corner. I'm just curious, like you got to get other guys on the field. And one of the, you know, for, for, you know, their credit, they did rotate some guys in, especially, you know, DJ Jackson towards the end, but mm-hmm. we all knew Allie green was not going to be sticking around for the next year. We all, we all knew the Tulsa tandem was going to be gone this year. And we didn't really have an answer for that. You know? So like, there's a lot of young guys, red shirt guys who can come in, do you bump him on the outside and give one of the freshmen the nickel assignment just to see what he can do here and there? I, I don't know. 
I, I don't no, know because how those works. guys are more well suited to play on the outside. Because the thing about Drain is he's so good at those two way goes. And what I yeah. mean by that is for anybody in the slot, they can either have a route that goes on an inbreaking route or an outbreaking route, or they can go up the seam. Anything that they want to do on those routes, you're able to do so because you're not limited by the sidelines. And on the outside, you can use the sideline as a boundary for you. So you're you're just seeing a more limited route tree. So guys like Jackson and Rakestraw, though they're clearly probably going to be your starters on the outside. But Zaquan Reeves or Dalen Carnell, Davion Sistrunk, those are guys that could all they profile as outside cornerbacks. Mm -hmm. And that's probably where I would use them. Uh, if you're going to go with somebody else in the slot, I, I would have to imagine you're probably doing so with the safety this year. Hmm. Yeah. Could be. I know Tyler Hibbler played a little corner too in high school. So, you know, he might be. You know, I think Charleston's probably that. that guy. He Charleston is probably quick enough to do sort of like that. And he's got the yeah. versatility to find success. So, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, I mean. It's 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 February. Possibilities are are limitless. Uh, <laughs> we could talk ourselves into anything, and that, like you said, that's the fun part. Uh, another fun part is checking in with old friends, and I got lucky enough to grab Bill C in between his massive podcasting uh, tour that he's on right now. Uh, he decided to come back to his old stopping grounds. If you all don't realize, Bill Connolly founded co-founded Rockin Nation with Ross Taylor back in two thousand seven. Uh, and now he's a fancy ESPN talking head. Uh, so we brought him back and I was lucky enough to uh, grab 30 minutes with him and ask him about Missouri and returning production and SP plus and the SEC. Uh, so to kick back, take a listen and, and, and let's listen to what Bill Conley has to say. Today, we are blessed with the return of the co-founder of Rockin' Nation, the creator and proprietor of the SP Plus measurement system, author of Study Hall and the 50 best college football teams of all time, former co-host of Podcasting Play Nobody, and current ESPN college football analyst, Bill Connolly. Welcome, sir. Did I forget anything? I think that's more than enough, yeah. <laughs> so, you all, you know, everybody's podcast is is their first. And for some of you new folks, uh, Bill used to be the guy at Rock Game Nation. Uh, he did football, he did basketball, he did the whole thing on his own. So he was a, a founding voice of, of SB Nation's Missouri coverage. And, of course, expanded out into advanced stats with Study Hall uh, and then SB Nation proper. But... At his heart, Bill is a Missouri Tiger, and so I thought it was a good idea to kind of bring him in, get him back in the fold, and, and take his assessment here, because, Bill, I don't know if you remember, last time you were on this show was December 3rd, 2019. I was figuring is, it was something like that, yeah. Like We're talking before times on very many, many different levels here, but, but we discussed, because I went back and listened, we discussed the merits of firing Barry Odom, the possibility of hiring Lane <laughs> Kiffin. Um, uh, right. <laughs> but now, yeah, it's, it's February of 2022. Obviously a lot has changed during that time. So first off, uh, what do you think of the Eli Drinkwitz experience two and a half ish years into his tenure? Well, I mean, I think the most interesting thing about it is how inconclusive it's been so far. Um, no, and that's not, I mean, that's not a good thing, but it's not a bad thing either. It just, you know, two years into to it, you know, the Gary Pinkle era, we kind of knew, we thought we knew where things were headed. It was, you know, 2002, he had his quarterback in place. Sure seemed like the talent upgrade was was happening. They almost beat OU. They almost made a bowl. Uh, the next year, you know, we seemed to be proven right. And then we were wrong again, and then we were right again, and everything uh, was was mostly good from there. And then, you know, two years into the Barry Odom tenure, it was kind of, 
it wasn't necessarily the right conclusions necessarily. I think we were wrong a few different times, but at Mm -hmm. least it felt like we knew something. And two years into Eli Drinkwitz, we don't know who the quarterback is. We don't know, um, you know, the, we, we kind of know the offensive identity, but we have no idea what the defensive identity is. Uh, there's been so much change there. Um, we know recruiting's good. And, you know, that's you know, <laughs> that's not a bad thing at all. But, you know, you're basically an ex- almost exactly 500 team through two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been promise on both sides of the ball. There's been a lot of anti-promise on both sides of the ball. And, and now you head into year three, kind of looking like it's going to be another 500 a year. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, it's it's just weird. It's just, like it's not necessarily bad. It could be very good in in year four if some of the the recent star recruits actually kind of start to to build. But it's just been it's been two years. There have been some fun wins. There have been some really annoying losses, and and we don't really know anything yet. Yeah, you know the 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 twenty twenty team had the quality of a three to four win team, but they won five right. games because you know three and zero record and one score games. Right. Then you got the twenty twenty one team. Who had the quality of a six-win team and, won, and did win six games, but went two and three in one-score games. So, like, I know you said it's it's tough to tell, but what, what was your impression? Like, regardless of whether you thought it was good or bad, what was your impression of the twenty-one squad? And and kind of regardless of the individual units, do you think this team is getting better? Um. Well, offensively, it definitely did. Um, there was more consistent. I mean, it was mainly because of Tyler Beatty, and he's gone. But um, I think there was a little more. There's there was a lot of inconsistency in 2020, especially up front. Obviously, there were a ton. There was a ton of shuffling going on everywhere in the lineup, but especially up front in 2020. Last year, we saw we got a little more of a sustained glimpse of what at least what he wants to do. There's there's basically three. There are three can components i guess to the drinkwitz offense there's the run game there's the super the horizontal super quick pass game that's basically an extension of the run and then there's the downfield bit uh run game was you know perfectly solid last year um the blocking still wasn't amazing but when you got Beatty and he's he's able to you know average i think it was over three like almost three and a half yards after contact mm-hmm. per rush mm-hmm. um you know things look pretty good in that regard he's gonna make your your run game look good quick passing game was okay uh, downfield pass game, not not amazing. No. Um, so we we at least on offense, we at least know what they want to do, and they improved. I think they were fifty second in my offensive SP plus rankings last year. Mm-hmm. Um, even despite losing Basilak, which is a big part of a, of preseason projections, they're they're projected to at least hold steady this year. Obviously, if the quarterback position clicks, then or, or the you know many many star recruits at receiver click then, you know, there's a, a top 40 potential. Um, so, yeah, on that side of the ball, I think we, from a personnel standpoint and just an identity standpoint, you can say that we at least kind of know where this is going and it's probably a good thing. But, I mean, the defense, now what, three three coordinators in three years. Mm-hmm. Um, last year sure seemed like for the first four to six, seven, eight games they didn't that, that nobody was just lining up in the right spot. Um, you know, you could see who was a tie on Evans from Tennessee, that 90-something yard mm-hmm. run. You could see that when the when they lined up at the line of scrimmage, like, hey, there's a big gap right there, and he just trots through it, and that was it. It was the worst run defense I've ever seen from Missouri, and they weren't even really getting blown off the ball. So that was disconcerting. Obviously, down the stretch, with the last, I guess you could say, four games or so, maybe six if you ignore the Georgia game because they didn't have a chance there regardless. You can say things started to improve a little bit. Uh, They were at least lining up in the right spot. The communication was better. Um, So you could 
maybe start to see what Steve Wilkes wanted to do. And then he left. So, uh, you know, Blake Baker's a Manny Diaz guy. He likes tackles for, I know Drinkwitz said, you know, the philosophy is about the same, you know, Baker's history suggests he wants to be, he wants to be very aggressive. Um, we'll see if he can pull that off, but, um, yeah, obviously when the defense collapses the way it did and only sort of rebounds at the end of the year, it's hard to say the entire thing is getting better. But, you know, if if you want to squint just right, uh, a lot of the right pieces come back next year, um, assuming they line up in the right spot all year and, and uh, you know, the, a couple of these transfers, uh, you know, make a difference, then you could at least see things improve into like a top 60 level. But even good scenario here you're talking top 40 offense top 60 defense that's not gonna that'll probably get you six and six again but that's not gonna be some sort of major breakthrough there now i i I am you know i'm on rock m nation they love their missouri football but i got no one to talk to about the college football realm at large (laughs) so when i say oh i liked blake baker at louisiana tech i got what um and like those bulldog defenses they were very aggressive now you could argue that they had to be and they would give up big stuff too but like that was a really aggressive, fun defense. And then he goes to Miami and it's like, he just kind of plays shell defense, not super aggressive, not a lot of tackles for loss. Now they had the talent, you know, so he didn't have to be aggressive, but like, what is a Blake Baker defense? Is it, if he's got the pieces, he's going to be a little bit more conservative. Does he like to be aggressive? Like, what do you, what do you think he's going to do with what Missouri has? Well, I think, you know, two years ago, he didn't have to be very aggressive because they had the defensive ends. Um, They had, you know, two defensive ends that basically served as a blitz. Um, So they, they could afford to, not take as many. Ch- I mean, I think the you know he is a Manny Diaz guy. Manny Diaz loves tackles for mm-hmm. loss. That's his whole mo. Is uh, you know we're going to make you adjust to us, mm-hmm. and we're going to um, you know that that's that's the name of the game. It's aggression. We're willing to give up some big plays in the name of forcing turnovers, forcing three and outs, uh, and giving our, our offense big advantages there, which is fine. Except then last year. They did for the first time in a long time, you know, a Diaz defense didn't have the defensive ends. They were losing two or three every single year. It's like, you know, the Missouri receiving core back in 13, 14, yeah. 15, where they lose everybody one year, they lose everybody the next, and suddenly they stink at receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they didn't have the pieces there. They couldn't create, you know, risk-free aggression, so to speak. And they couldn't tackle. Uh, their, their linebackers were extremely young. They were uh, 122nd in the tackle success rate number that we get from um, Sports Info Solutions. Um, and, and so everything kind of fell apart. Uh, they, I mean, they were still, it fell apart. They were still 51st in defensive SP, SP plus, which was way better than Missouri. Yeah. Um, you know, they still... You know, when they had breakdowns, they were giving up 30 or 31 points, uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, a lot more than that. So um, I I think we know that he wants to disrupt. He wants you he wants to line up in such a way that you have to react to them uh, and and, you know, uh, account for what they're doing and just make you think and play slower and all those things. Uh, He did not have the tacklers or the defensive ends to do that last year. I mean, in theory, that wasn't necessarily let's see what was missouri last year in the in the tackles number they were yeah they were 61st they were like dead on average from a tackling perspective last year um and if they're lining up in the right spot you know that he's got mcguire he's got a couple hoppers now like in theory um you know he's got jeff code you know it, it might be a situation where he has the guys who can disrupt and and make you adjust and everything like that but uh, yeah at the bottom at the end of it it's not a bend don't break they don't want if they can make a bunch of tackles for loss without taking chances. Great. But, um, you know, they'll take chances if they need to. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now getting back to kind of, you know, you mentioned projections and, and, and college football has a notoriously long off season, but yours is actually comparatively quite short uh, since you preview every team in the country and that <laughs> takes some time to do. Um, and of course it starts with your projected SP plus rankings, which uses five-year performance, five-year recruiting data uh, and returning production. So when you are, when you're using your returning production, how do you decide to weight individual returning production stats? Like obviously you, you, you've mentioned before that you kind of change it year to year, but what, what's your reason behind changing the weights and, and what are they for this year? Yeah. I mean, basically the weights change as I get more data. That's the whole um, rationale. Everything is, is based on what correlates to improvement or regression the next year. So you end up in a situation, it hasn't changed a ton. The biggest change I think in the formula came when I started when I moved to ESPN and started getting snap count data, I could better measure offensive line continuity because mm-hmm. I was just using like career starts before then. And that's, that just wasn't great. And it was all I had. Um, so now that I have a good measure of offensive line continuity, the offensive line as a whole carries more weight in the formula, but yeah, it, it ends up being kind of what you would expect on offense. It's for the quarterback. It's about 30% of, of your returning production formula is based on, um, but 30% of the offensive number is based on uh, returning, basically percentage of, of passing yards returning. Um, and then receivers uh, make up about 9% each overall. So it's in the 30% overall in terms of receiver continuity. Uh, offensive line is is in the 20s. And then running back, running back is apparently, uh, you lose a running back and your number doesn't really change all that much yeah. the next year. So that doesn't carry a lot of weight. Obviously, that's good news for Missouri this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, but um, that's kind of the general out- outlook. I think the biggest surprise comes on the defensive side of the ball, where continuity in the secondary matters a ton. Continuity up front really doesn't m- move the the needle all that much, and maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe it has something to do with you know the the teams that have star linemen are they tend to recruit really well and have more star linemen to replace them with. I'm not real sure. But uh, when you lose a ton on the line, your number doesn't change all that much in the next year. When you lose a ton in the secondary, your number tends to change a lot. Um, so that's that's the general thing. So yeah, the biggest part of the projections is basically taking last year's uh, last year's rating and, and applying a you know a projected change based on returning production. But then about twenty percent of it is recruiting, and then another five six percent is kind of what I call a program health check. It's kind of a weighted look at the uh, years two through five uh, in the past, um, as opposed to, you know, the the big number is already accounted for. Last year's number is already accounted for in the returning production piece, but just a little program health check. Like obviously how you did last year matters, but if you if it was the first time you're really good or really bad in a long time, you're probably going to move back toward the mean the next year. Sure. And so that recent history piece kind of grabs that. So um, and there, this, you know, last year, Missouri finished 69th in SP plus, not, not nice, not great. Um, but this year they are projected to move to 54th. If the defense, if, if what we saw the first half of last season defensively doesn't really count anymore, Yeah. <laughs> if, if it's, you know, if, if they at least got a little more competent later on then that, you know, that number could go up a little bit, but I, I think I, I at least understand why they're 54th and it kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. And I, I believe heading into 2021, I believe that Missouri was also kind of projected like 59th or 60th. So yeah, 50 sixties. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, again, it's not moving it a lot, but these are kind of preseason projections. Um, so Let's talk about Missouri because, you know, one of the big things, like you said, secondary, defensive secondary, and Missouri's returning two safeties, but they lose some corners. 
And then mm. on the offensive side, yes, Towski Dove's back. Yes, Barrett Bannister's back. But like, there's a whole lot of new guys in the receiving core. So what does Missouri's returning production look like? And just as a comparison, how does that go against like the rest of the SEC? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess the rest of the SEC, it, it's it's pretty much, I think, middle-ish, basically, because a lot of, I mean, the SEC gets hit harder by returning, by, by production lost every year based on, you know, the number of players who go to the pros or, you know, everybody trades players now uh, amongst each other. And so, um, you know, they're, they're pretty much middle of the pack overall and, and about middle of the pack in the SEC. Um, and, and obviously, you know, a lot of that comes from, you know, you're only returning about, what, 16% of your passing yards because of mm-hmm. Basilak's transfer. Now, you add context to that, that you know, Basilak didn't even start in the bowl game. And uh, it was pretty clear that he was going to, at the very least, the coaching staff thought he was even with Cook and Macon and potentially Horn moving forward. And, and they weren't going to just guarantee him the starting job, which suggests that the ding they take from only returning 16% of their yards, you know, Right in context doesn't really apply because they, you know, they were they they felt they could afford to lose him by you know throwing him into a competition that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can I, I, you can spin that positively, but that's the biggest hit. Um, you know, the rushing yards actually Missouri gets a boost from in the rushing department because of the transfer of Nate uh, Pete. Yeah, um, the, his yardage. The the I mean I don't know a better way to do this, but his yardage from Stanford last year gets plugged into the for, into the formula. So you get Pete, you get Young. Um, and, and that number doesn't quite take as much of a hit as you might think just because they lost Beatty. Honestly, Pete, from a from a statistical profile standpoint, is kind of a really nice replacement for Beatty just in terms yeah. of what he does. Their success rates were really close. It was 42% for Beatty, 38% for Pete behind a strangely terrible Stanford line. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so he got, stu- he, he got stuffed more. He got, stu- he, he got hit at or behind the line of scrimmage um, more than Beatty did last year. But his yards after contact were even better than Beatty's last year, barely at least, like 3.2 for Beatty, 3.3 for Pete. Um, so he kind of he made the most of what he had. He didn't have much to work with last year. And in theory, especially if he returns kicks, he's very good at that. I don't know if they'll have him do both uh, if he wins the starting job at running back. Um, but it's a nice weapon to to bring into the fold. He's not quite as much of a receiver um, as Beatty, but his, again, his numbers are okay. It might just be that he wasn't asked to do that at Stanford, yeah. uh, and he might be able to do a decent job of that. So that helps the production numbers a lot. Bringing in Pete, even though he only had 400 yards, that you know prevents that from being a terrible blow. Offensive line, obviously, lots of snaps returning there, especially mm-hmm. when you bring in Polgar from from Buffalo, who um, the only stats we we have from Sports Info Solution regarding the offensive line are uh, just blown blocks. Basically, there's the you know, blown run block, pass block, and overall his is zero point nine percent blown block rate, which is very Damn. very good. Anything under about one and a half percent overall is very good. Um, I, I, obviously, his pass block numbers were great, but centers usually have pretty good pass blocking yeah. numbers. Yeah. Um, but even his run blocking numbers were okay. So that seems like a nice addition to what they already have. It's a very veteran line, um, and the receiving totals don't get hit as much. I, I only. I had to kind of categorize things out. Like it's running back rushing yards that I look at for the rushing right. part and it's receiver or tight end receiving yards lost. So the fact that they lose their quote unquote leading receiver in Beatty <laughs> uh, doesn't count. And they return, I think uh, 64% of their yards is what I have it at currently. Once mm-hmm. you add in Tyler Stevens um, from, from Buffalo as well. So 
Yeah, it could be worse. Um, defensively, it's fine. Um, you know, 60s, you know, you're in the 60% range for on the defensive line, 90 something percent at linebacker. Um, big in part because of Hopper mm-hmm. again, like you're basically trading Aldridge for, uh, for one of the hoppers there. Um, and then in the 70% in the secondary, because I went ahead and plugged in NS Rakes draws 2020 stats. That's one of the things I do. Uh, um, okay. you know, if you miss all or most of a, of a season to injury, your previous year stats get plugged in. So that helps, um, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're losing a couple corners, but you're returning basically three who played at very similar sta- uh, snaps overall now. So that helps. Uh, obviously, Charleston and Norwood, the new transfers, didn't play very much last year, so that didn't make much of a difference. But overall, solid numbers. Not not amazing. And when you were only ranked 69th, you'd like to return pretty much everybody. Um, <laughs> but it, it could be a lot worse, at least in the experience department. Yeah. Now, you, you've already mentioned this a little bit, but like you know, for progressive-minded folk like you and me who supported player agency and being able to control their – they're playing lives with similar freedom that coaches do. You know, the transfer portal and the one-time transfer without penalty rule have been, have been great for that. But it also means that rosters are never static. Right. Um, so you, you talked about kind of, move, you know, smashing numbers in from previous schools. But overall, how has the transfer portal affected your ability to run SP Plus? And, like, do you ever feel confident in ever running anything just knowing that everything is constantly fluid? <laughs> Well, the transfer portal, I mean, obviously there are going to be more transfers. There's no doubt about that, but it's at least um, a, a vast majority of the, of the important transfers have already happened. Um, sure. So I feel okay from that perspective. The biggest, the biggest thing in getting ready for the February projections that I put out was that like the, you know, the last two years, this is it's the first time this has been an issue, but figuring out which seniors are actually returning yeah. was a nightmare this year. Yeah. Um, when I was running the numbers, only 40 or so of the 130, now 131 teams uh, in FBS this year uh, had put out rosters, uh, you know, initial spring rosters. Um, and so you're like, you're scrolling through the Twitter pages of like Akron's seniors from last year, trying to figure out if they announced whether they're returning or not. Uh, And it was really hard to do. And I know I missed, I you know, it was just a bunch of educated guesses to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the biggest obstacle um, for this go round. But yeah, I mean, the, the portal obviously never stops. So, you know, if I ran the numbers today, as opposed to whenever that was a couple of weeks ago for, for the piece that went up, Obviously, they would would have changed slightly based on who's entered the portal since then. It'll change. You know, there will be another wave at the end of May, even though I think most of the big names have already you know, made their move. Uh, and you know, then guys get hurt in August in in camp, and so that makes a difference sure. too. But yeah. um, I, I do feel like with the numbers we're working with now, it's it's you know eighty percent of the way towards whatever those final August numbers are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and. You know, we'll we'll see how many as the other teams put out their rosters. We'll see how many seniors I missed or I was wrong on. But I don't. I think I got the the the, the most important ones I got, and so um, that'll help. I'm just imagining you like saying like, "Ah, oh, man, I thought this guy was going to leave. What the heck is he doing?" And you got to update everything on on the back end. So oh yeah, no, it was it's it's messy, and I got to learn that basically every college athlete, every college football player in the country retweets every, anytime one of their friends gets an offer or transfers or announces mm-hmm. he's leaving or whatever, he retreats like three tweets for that announcement. Um, so even just scrolling back to like mid early, mid December to find if they had said anything, it was, mm-hmm. it was something, it was not a it, the funnest process in the world. In theory, I mean, next year, 
this becomes a little bit less of an issue as the whole super senior thing slowly starts to fade out. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it was certainly, it, it's been a unique challenge this year and last year. And can you, can you imagine yourself in 2007? You go back, 2022 bill goes back to 2007 and says, hey man, um, you're going to get paid to scroll through Twitter feeds of athletes. Yeah. Like you're just going to blow your what's mind. What's Twitter? Like I, I'm not completely sure I knew what Twitter was in 2007. Oh yeah, God, actually, yeah, but, it's not even existent there. Yeah, um, gosh. No, it's that my obviously I put in the work and I always have, but the the timing of how everything played out from you know in 2007, starting a blogger site, a blogspot mm -hmm. uh, site a few months before Rocky Nation, and and deciding you know I, I need off season content. I'm going to Google college football analytics, see what's out there to to play with, and and when you know Google basically said I don't know what you're talking about, and then I started doing <laughs> it up by myself and. The timing of that uh, was extremely fortuitous considering how the next few years played out. That's awesome. Well, I know you, you've said plenty of times that you are not SP plus. That's one of your big <laughs> arguments on Twitter, which uh, I get. So there's going to be two different takes. There's going to be, you know, SP plus what it sees and what it, what it tells you. And then there's going to be your opinion on, on what you see and what you think. So let's start with SP plus. What, what does your formula like about Missouri in 2022 heading into 2022 and what does it not like? Um, well, you know, the, the, the offense, it was, it took a shine to, for the most part, obviously things faded at, at times down the stretch. Um, but it, it was, it, it, it was coming around on the offense. It finished 52nd overall. It's projected about the same this year. Um, you know, the efficiency side of things was really nice. They, they were 25th and three and out rate overall on offense. They were 60th in success rate. And that did come down, uh, over, uh, over the last few games. So I think, you know, again, there, you know, if there are three components to the Drinkwitz offense, two of the three are, are to establish heavy efficiency. And we, we kind of see that, uh, what it dislikes is everything about the defense. Um, <laughs> they were, they were 94th in success rate, my marginal explosiveness number, which basically looks at the successful plays and looks at how big they are and, adjust for field position and all that. They, they rose to 114th in that late in the year. God. They were 123rd against the run in that regard, which mm -hmm. duh. Um, so that, that was the biggest, they were 97th on defense last year. They were 11th in special teams. Special teams is great. Mm -hmm. um, obviously there's some turnover there now, now to worry about it punter, but um, like that, that'll look it, it, offense and special teams. You can kind of see where things are headed. I think as far as, um, you know, 2022 goes the, the overall numbers, I mean, they're projected to jump back up to 64th because of that solid continuity on defense. They're 51st on offense, basically the same. The, the schedule is kind of interesting though, in that yeah. you got four surefire wins or close to it, you know, 88% win probability against Louisiana tech, 99% against Abilene Christian, 88 against Vanderbilt, 98 against New Mexico state still need two more wins. Yep. <laughs> and um, you know, it's, it's 34% at Kansas state, 27 at Auburn, uh, 24 at Florida, 40 at South Carolina, 35 mm -hmm. against Kentucky, 39 against Arkansas. They're basically favored in only four games, but they're still going to be projected to go about six and six because, you know, enough of those are close that they'll probably snare a couple. This, a lot of this is ex almost exactly what we were saying at this time last year about Missouri. Yeah. Um, and that there were some sure wins, but they got to win some close games. And it sure looked like they weren't going to do it uh, until the, the Florida game late. Um, but I mean, again, this is what I was saying at the start. Like it, the, the, it is so inconclusive where this is going. 
And it really does look like you're you're looking at another six and six season here before hopefully then whoever emerges as quarterback, whoever emerges at receiver, uh, hopefully you can start seeing traction in year four. But it's crazy to think that we're how, how little we know and, and how little we might know uh, three years into a coach's tenure. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, going past the SP plus and just delving into your mind, you know, I guess, you know, for 2022, I've been saying since this schedule came out that this could be, you know, a top 40, 50 Missouri team. And you wouldn't know it because they could go one and five in the first right. six games. So, you know, the improvement you can see the as far as the numbers goes, like, yes, you can either hold water, stay steady, or maybe a little bit of improvement. Um but what what do you what do you think is, is Brady Cook going to be an upgrade or is Sam Horn going to start like are these little aspects is Luther Burden going to be enough to create a downfield passing game like are there aspects here that you personally like that you can see okay you know what this team is heading in the right direction yeah they could make you know a third bowl game in, in three years yeah I'm strangely un- like I was saying about Pete and whatnot I'm strangely unconcerned about the run game um, I do think the offensive line is going to be solid I think between Pete and Young. Um, you know, what, what we saw of young in the bowl game and it was against army and for all their strengths, you know, they're not an amazing, you know, you can push them around a little bit up front. Um, but I liked what I saw there. I figured the run games, not, you know, it, maybe it'll regress, but it won't be, it won't regress that far. Um, there should still be a lot to like there. And the, the quick passing game, I think, you know, whether it's cook or Macon or horn or whatever, you know, whoever gets chosen is going to be a guy who's pretty accurate in that, in, in those quick passes. The, the biggest issue for the offense, though, is they were 100, that marginal explosiveness number. They were 116th passing in mm. passing marginal explosiveness. Yeah. 17th in the, the run, because Beatty could turn anything into a 15, 20 yard gain. Mm-hmm. But um, they're just the, the, the nibbles, you guys weren't breaking tackles. And so there wasn't a lot of like risk free explosiveness, so to speak. Uh, downfield, Dove and Chisholm both had their moments, but Chisholm's gone. And, um, you know, th- there were only moments, you could say. So um, it is a lot of short routes and they really want guys to break one tackle and burst a big play. And they just haven't had that in the receiving core. And so if it's, you know, of course, if it's burden, if it's love it, if it's whoever, if some of these young guys or a couple of these young guys can just start breaking tackles and turn in a five yard pass into an 18 yard gain randomly, just mm-hmm. do that a couple times a game. And that changes the outlook of everything a little bit. Um, Again, defensively, it's I, it's hard to know at all what to expect. The talent level's good. The lots of juniors and seniors, or talent levels better, I should say. Lots of juniors and seniors, but just the amount of turnover they've had in the coaching staff on that side of the ball, it's it's really hard to set expectations. But if, mm-hmm. if the offense does turn into a top 30, 40 unit, which would just require a few more broken tackles and and chunk plays, then I think. You know, the, all these games I just mentioned, you know, Kansas State, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Arkansas at the very least are all projected to be within one score. And, you know, one extra easy score game then turns potential four and eight into eight and four or so. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that you'd like some measurable progress and, and that would be the best way to create it, I think. Yeah. In your opinion, and whether this is based off of actual number performance or just, you know, personal preference, in your opinion, an efficiency-based offense that needs four or five big plays per game, is that is that the best way to run an offense in, in the 2020s, or is there something that you need to be a little bit more explosive-based to see any kind of success long-term? Um, 
Well, I, I just previewed the Mountain West or the Mountain West Mountain, I should say, because they're silly division names. Um, and I kind of you saw both sides of the of the coin with the two best teams that division: Boise State and Utah State. Utah State was a team that have, was dreadfully inconsistent, not efficient at all, but they were aggressive and they had nice uh, big play weapons. They had a trio of receivers who were really really fun and explosive. And what that resulted in for Utah State was, you know. Uh, they they couldn't really pull away from anybody at least until a couple of games late in the year but they uh were able to make just enough big plays in key times that they went 4 and 0 in one score games they also uh-huh. lost by 24 14 and 27 points when the big plays just didn't show up sure Th- then you had Boise State on the other side of that um who won the efficiency battle with regularity was very efficient on defense um they at least you know, not, less so on offense, but the the biggest issue for them was um, they gave up too many big plays and they didn't make nearly enough. They were very conservative and efficiency based, quick passing, uh, good amount of running, all that stuff. And what that resulted in for them was a bunch of huge wins and a bunch of close losses. So they were kind of the it was the the opposite of Utah State in that regard. You know, they beat. Uh, they beat Utah State by 24. They beat U- uh, BYU at one at BYU by nine. They they beat Fresno State, a good Fresno State, by 26. And they lost to Nevada, Nevada and Air Force. And UCF. they blew a lead against UCF. They, they almost beat Oklahoma State, but couldn't. Um, and so I think that's kind of you can make a case either way. Boise state ranked way better in SP plus because it, because that's a success rate thing is, is easily the most sustainable mm-hmm. of the two in terms of efficiency or explosiveness. Um, obviously the best case scenario is you can take really easy, safe, conservative plays and turn them into mm-hmm. something big because you have the athletes. And that's sure. clearly what Drinkwitz wants to do. And he hasn't had the athletes to do it besides Beatty. Um, but that's, that's, in theory, that can work, and and from a numbers perspective, it's certainly more SP plus friendly to go in that direction. You just you you've got to be able to turn easy, safe, conservative stuff into big plays, and they haven't been able to do that yet. Yeah. So I'll get you out on this one. What what are your what are your biggest questions remaining for Eli Drinkwitz and this staff? Kind of from a big picture standpoint, is there anything on the field or recruiting or develop like? What, what do you want to see from this staff going forward in the next couple of years? I just want to know that, like, I mean, he's an offensive coach. Um, plenty of offensive coaches in, in college football history have, uh, you know, moved to a head coaching job, scored plenty of points, but just never been able to craft a, a true culture defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually the culture was the word that, that Kevin, well, I talked to Kevin Wilson a few years ago before he was fired at Indiana. Um, and it was, it was, I don't know, three, four years on the job there. His offense, you know, had Tevin Coleman and, and it had a lot of potential as Missouri fans know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he said like, looking back, like I never, I never set the bar in the right place. I never, I, I, I realized too late or I, I didn't realize at the start, at least that I was not holding, I was not setting expectations correctly for the defense. I was not, uh, you know, building the culture as it needed to be built on defense. And, um, yeah, I made up for lost time and improved a little bit before he got fired for other reasons for, sure. you know, not taking injuries seriously enough, apparently. But, um, but, but that's what I think of anytime you see a situation like this, where you can see what he wants to do offensively. You can see the pieces coming together and on defense, it seems to be, I don't know, have talent and, you know, win battles and, and, you know, change three or four assistants every single year, which obviously he's not choosing to do, but, um, 
it, it, the amount of turnover on the coaching staff on that side of the ball, the, the complete discombobulation last year when it came to communication and everything else. Um, I, I just, the biggest obstacle for him moving forward is just like establish something on that side of the ball. Like, mm-hmm. this is what we want to do defensively. Um, hopefully, obviously, you know, while you'd love for Baker to do so well that he gets a head coaching job soon, just, you know, as figure out what your what you want your staff to be, keep your position coaches for more mm-hmm. than a year mm-hmm. um, and coordinators, obviously, and just establish the same kind of continuity that he's probably about to establish on offense. And that if he never does, then you're going six and six every year. And eventually um, that becomes not enough. And you look in the stands, that's already kind of not enough. Missouri desperately needs a big season. Um to to pull in SEC level ticket revenue among other things, um, like that was it. We're, we're at mid nineties attendance levels right now, um, and and so they they obviously need that season. It's hard to say they're going to get it, but I mean, maybe this round of hires was that maybe they all click and everything works out great on defense. It's just hard to it's we don't really have any reason to believe that will happen right now, and and that's the biggest challenge for him, I think. Yeah, two years of a defensive coordinator would do wonders. Just yeah, a good one. <laughs> Two years yes, of a good one. Yeah, a good That's, one. Well, we got to add that part too. But yes, that, also, that is certainly, yeah. the, it does feel like the philosophy has changed. It changed pretty dramatically from Walters to uh, Wilkes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, guys working with different position coaches every year hasn't helped either. But it does kind of, what, what we know about Baker feels pretty different than what we saw from Wilkes too. And mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, that is the biggest thing is there. there's been – next to no continuity whatsoever on that side of the ball, whether he's been at fault for that or not. I mean, obviously he kept some of Odom's assistance for that exact reason for mm-hmm. continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then realized like, I'm, I'm not sure this is what I want and let him go. And, um, you know, brought in new guys who have since left and now he's, he's on his next gen- generation of coaches, but that's, that's going to kill you. Um, and, and they need to to start establishing some level of culture on that side of the ball. Well, we'll see if you can, uh, but Bill, thank you, sir, for, for joining the show today. We'll try to make sure it's not another almost three years, uh, between your next <laughs> taping with us, but, uh, yeah, feel free, uh, go free. Uh, tell us all about the mountain West West and, uh, <laughs> look forward to reading your stuff in the future, man. Absolutely. AAC is up next, baby. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. My thanks again to Bill for stopping by. It's always nice to have your godfather come by and you just, kiss the rain and have him move along um but yeah bill i mean obviously he he he's kind of uh meh you know Drinkwitz hasn't shown much uh on the field and that's where it counts the most but recruiting has certainly kept the excitement and, and the blake baker hire uh provides you know, a little bit of fresh air but like you said like this team could use so much continuity on the defense it would be incredible if they could get that and you know we don't know if that's going to be it but there's just got to be some kind of continuity so these defensive guys can figure out their strategy, their culture, and really start building something long-term to match with, uh, with Drinkwitz's offense. I mentioned earlier, Barrett Bannister had, had talked about what the difference is with the offense this year, having a uh, mobile quarterback. He also made another interesting comment. He was, he was a really good interview earlier this week. Um, he talked about how like the, the margin in the SEC is just so slim. And he talked specifically about the Kentucky and the Boston College games last mm-hmm. year and how much different everybody would view Mizzou's season if they won those two games. And it's not as if he's like making up some crazy theory. They they weren't all that far away from either of those games. 
Boston College, they took them to overtime. Kentucky, they lost by seven in what was a very close game throughout. If you win those two games, and hell, you might even be able to win that Army game, probably should have won that Army game, you're talking about a nine-win team last year. And suddenly, instead of going into this season and being like, eh, 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 you're pretty excited about what the outlook looks like for an Eli Drinkwitz team. Now, they didn't win those games. And ultimately, this is a results-based business. And if you go back through the Barry Odom era, there were a whole lot of those games that you could look back at and say, God, they were so close. If they just could have been able to overcome that one-score game, we look at this entire tenure completely differently. The goal for those coaches is to win those one-score games. In the year prior, they won a lot of them, and they got a little bit lucky in those games. And the luck flipped last year, and the hope is that it reverts back, or at least you end up somewhere in the middle. So I get it why anybody would be kind of meh on the team right now, because they deserve to have you be a little meh about them coming off of what they've been the first two years where they've been at exactly 500 under Eli Drinkwitz. But you go into this upcoming season and there's real reason for optimism, man. I, yeah. I really do think that there's a chance this team can be maybe not a lot better than people are expecting, but I mean, would it completely shock you if they started the year four and L it also shouldn't surprise yes. anybody if they start two and two, but would it completely <laughs> shock you if they start the year four and L I would be shocked. I would really? Be shocked. Why? Why? Because Kansas State on the road, that's why. Kansas State's defense does You know what's interesting? Go ahead. I I bet you the majority of the people that are listening would point to Auburn before they would point to K-State in the first four games. Sure. I'm not saying you're wrong. I actually think you are 100% correct in saying that's the game that is scary. But uh, that's one reason why I wanted to ask that follow-up is because I I agree that K-State's probably the biggest threat in that. In that four game stretch. I mean, we've all seen Auburn in the news cycle for the past two weeks with their coach mm-hmm. going to Mexico and, you know, the, the push of the, of the boosters trying to get him out and they couldn't find a reason to do so. Like when you count out Auburn is when they rip off a 10 win season. Like I understand that, but like Auburn recruits really, really well. You could put, uh, you know, a monkey in a hat on the sideline and Auburn would probably win six games. Um, but like, so I get like, it's tough to count them out, but like truly it's Kansas state. That is a good coach. That is a defense that does exactly what this offense does not want you to do, which is a race's efficiency makes you make big plays, which past two years we have not been able to do. Um, that, that is the game that, that, that sucks. It's the second game and it's on the road. And then you got two more other games on the road, uh, in the next three games after that. So it's like, if you if you start 4-0, beat Louisiana Tech, totally possible. Beat Kansas State on the road. Beat Abilene Christian, yes. And then also beat Auburn on the road. I would be shocked. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, absolutely shocked. See, I I don't know who's playing quarterback for K-State this year, which seems like a big issue. <laughs> and, and to be fair, like the, the same could be said about Mizzou right now. And like we just know Mizzou's options as opposed to not knowing who the guys are. Uh, as intimately at Kansas State, but Skylar Thompson was a huge part of what they were doing offensively for years at Kansas State, and now he's just gone, and they've got to figure out what life looks like without him being their starting quarterback, and that's both in terms of the leadership that he brought to their team and also the fact that he was just a super efficient quarterback for them over the last few years. He added a decent amount on the ground and also was very efficient through the air, 
and now he's gone and they've got to replace him and they've got really good coaches as you mentioned so that if anybody could do it, it it's probably them and they've got an outstanding running game to lean on that will help them be able to replace that efficiency from the quarterback but i don't know man i i think i actually lean a little bit more on i i would not be shocked would it be surprising to basically everybody yeah sure absolutely <laughs> but that kind of stuff happens every year in college football now if they beat georgia in week 5 then I would be completely flabbergasted. And now we're talking about winning the SEC East. Yeah, but yeah. I do think that there is a non-zero chance. I would set it at like 30 to 40%-ish that they are able to go 4-0 in the first four weeks of the season. Just because of the mass exodus at Auburn, they don't have a quarterback either. They have completely yeah. lost everybody that played any snaps for them on the defensive line, which is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that K-State doesn't have a quarterback coming back. Kansas State was 11th against the rush, 4th against wiping out efficiency plays, uh, 13th in uh, oh opportunity rate. So they they wiped out everything on the ground. They killed you on, on standard downs like 1st and 10, 2nd and 5. Uh, they were liable to big plays through the air, which guess what Missouri sucked at last year? Big plays through the air. So if you believe Brady Cook and Luther Byrne and Mekhi Miller and Tasky Dove and Mookie Cooper and Chance Looper and all those guys, you think they can go deep, you know, they could probably get past this defense. Uh, if you don't think they can, it's going to be a long day and it's on the road in the little apple. So um, that's, that's going to be tough. They also lost the only two games last year that they played without Skylar Thompson, including a 2020 or 22 to 17 loss on the road to finish the year against Texas. So it sure it can be done. Um, but it, it's going to be that that'll definitely be one of, we always talk about Kentucky as being the swing game on Missouri schedule. Mm-hmm. That's probably the swing game. K state is early in the year next year yeah. for Mizzou. K state was a eight win team last year. They, the quality of play, it should have been a 10 win team. They had a 9% win expectancy against Oklahoma state and 10% against Oklahoma. Um, and then 30% against Iowa State, everything else, 199, 199, 100, 184, 65. So uh, they play really, really well, even in their losses. Um, they just they don't make it easy for you. So, But we'll see. We can talk about that all summer, too. Uh, well, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of change as we go along and uh, as we add to the roster, take away from the roster and things develop. But, uh, yeah, this is this is the beauty of spring. Uh, they got a couple of practices in here, and if you want to go to the black and gold game, it is March nineteenth. Um, but that is, uh, yeah, that's that's where we're at. BK, any uh, any parting shots? I don't think so, man. We went long this time. This we is did. the beginning of spring ball. We've actually got stuff to talk about now. It's a lot of fun, man. Uh, recruiting's probably going to pick up in the not too distant future as well for the twenty twenty three class. Uh, God bless, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited for what is this year? three of us doing this together it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah no it is year three because we started uh right when drink started so mm-hmm. oh man that lined up perfectly well that's fantastic how about that well that's the show for today as always we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions leave a comment or you can rate us we love all types of feedback from you all you can follow us on twitter i'm at nate edwards he is at bk sports talk and of course you can follow the rock and flagship at rock and nation and listen to bk on the radio in st louis 101 espn We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Well, 